And the Oscar goes to, by a nose, Nicole Kidman. Hey, Chris. Hi. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm very excited to be here. Very excited to talk about all things Nicole. Very excited to talk about the others. I'm so excited. I'm also very nervous that I'm going to accidentally say the hours because I constantly say the wrong title. I'm really excited to talk about The Others, the best ghost story ever, and I'm coming to you from the inside of my closet with no lights on, um, so it feels very appropriate and spooky. It is very on brand for The Others, uh, a movie that I have seen many times, and I actually just very freshly rewatched it earlier today, so I'm, it's, it's super fresh. I'm ready to go. I, I'm so excited. This is genuinely... Um, not only just like one of my favorite Nicole movies, but it might actually also be one of my favorite regular movies. Great. Me too. I think, and it's like, for me anyway, it's interesting because it came out in 2001 and I was probably 12 or 13 at the time. And um, I think it probably was around the time that I sort of started coming like online as a person who goes to the movies and like, who's into film and stuff like that. So that I remember vividly seeing it in theaters and being like creeped out about it because it is very spooky. It's very scary, and just not really knowing what to expect from it. Um, and at the time, I guess not really knowing, like, not really revering Nicole Kidman in the way that I do now. Um, she's just like some lady, I guess, in the others. But uh, going back, um, rewatching it this week and to to prepare for the show, I was really taken aback at actually how fresh it is and still how creepy I found it, um, you know, 16 years later. I think I like it for a lot of the same reasons. I uh, probably, I don't know if I saw it in theaters, but I definitely saw it right after. And it was one of the first times, I think kind of like you mentioned, that I was aware of like a director and the way that he's handling giving information to the audience and to his characters. Mm -hmm. Um, I think one of the reasons I like this movie still now is it's like really deftly handled. There's obviously a twist in the movie and it's pretty ironclad throughout the film. And and we see moments in which information is dispensed to us or dispensed to the characters. And it's really diplomatically handled um, in a way that I think makes the movie kind of timeless. Um, Even after, you know, what's going to happen watching it again, with perspective, I think is still just as exciting, which, I mean, you can't say for a lot of movies that rely on a twist sometimes. No, I I was still, I mean, I wasn't surprised by the twist this time, but I was still really amazed at how the whole movie was constructed around the twist and like going back to the beginning. I mean, obviously starting the movie knowing uh, what the ending is going to be, I still found it to be just really, really well done uh, and still really creepy, even though, again, I knew it was what was coming, what was happening, and who all of these characters were. Um, I just really enjoy it. I really, I mean, I'm glad that I was able to come on the show to talk about it, because I probably wouldn't have rewatched it for a couple of months still, but it's like a movie that I actually would love to revisit more often than I actually do, because it is very rewatchable, I think. We should make it a part of our planned gay Twitter movie marathon and stick it between, like, young adult and... I don't know, something else that we like. I mean, there's so much. There's, <laughs> young there's Adult these... is just the only thing that comes to mind because I just always want to watch Young Adult. <laughs> <laughs> these these vindictive, like, a little bit um, off-the-rails women who have a plan um, and don't want to be told that they're wrong, and many times they're not. Just a lot of fun to watch. 
And it is really fun to watch, obviously, young adult seeing Charlize unravel, but also seeing Nicole unravel in the others, like as she's sort of figuring out what's going on. This is, I think, probably for me, was uh, the great joy of watching this was like, Nicole is the eyes and ears of the audience, but she's also the main character. So things are happening to her and you're figuring out through her. Uh, whereas I think a lot of sort of these like haunted house or gothic type dramas, you, the audience knows more than the character sometimes. And it was just really fun, that discovery of like figuring it out with Nicole. I just call her Nicole. That's fine. <laughs> but I, I really, it, it's just like as, as creepy as it is, I actually had like a really good time watching it. Up until this point, as far as like episodes that we've recorded, um, we've talked a lot about, you know, Nicole's kind of range and we've done a couple movies where she's, uh, very serious and very restrained and we've done a couple where she you know like a Paddington or like a Moulin Rouge um, but this is kind of the first I would say that we get to see her do both of those things at once yeah um, and it, it's really exciting to watch her bounce between those so dynamically and I think it's, there's a reason that, that this becomes one of my favorite performances of hers not just because she uh, gets to scream and yell a whole bunch but um <laughs> <laughs> which she does do a lot of, but I actually think it's a really engaging, exciting performance. And I think it's for that reason that you mentioned that she's very much uh, us in the situation. She does it very well. She does the screaming very well. And when she doesn't do the screaming, the discovery and the fear and paranoia is done actually with a lot of restraint. She almost doesn't believe, she doesn't want to believe what's happening. And she's, um, She's just, I mean, we know this, like Nicole just has one of those faces and that just emotes just very strongly in like a very subtle way. Um, and she does this in the others very well. Uh, and there are definitely like key moments in the others where you see that happen, where she's um, uh, talking to the kids about, you know, passages in the Bible or when she's outside in the fog looking for her or, and she finds her husband. There's just like a lot of moments where it's like, wow, they're, I don't know that another actress, I mean, I'm sure another actress could probably do the role fine, but there's like a real subtlety and like, like softness to her face and features that I feel like really lends itself to this ghost story. I don't know. I just feel like the casting was like perfect. I do. Yeah. I mean, listen, you don't need to convince me that it was perfect. Yeah, it just really was. I mean, like the kids are great too. And like um, the rest of the cast obviously is really good, but like Nicole is like the anchor in a lot of ways. And she's just, I don't, she's just, she does paranoid and fearful and scary very well. It's. Yeah. She has this like insane ability to communicate just with like micro expression, exactly Mm -hmm. what she needs an audience to do. And, and specifically, uh, the ability to change it. Like we talked about this a lot when I recorded the episode about birth and you just have that close up on her face and she brings you through a whole range of motion. And we see a lot of that yeah. here, um, especially when we get to the scenes where she starts to put things together. But you mentioned it being a ghost story and I forgot that the credits actually start as like a storybook and we actually yeah. like, told the story of this. And I immediately like, it, it puts you exactly where you need to be as far as this being like true or not, or as far as this being like a, a degree removed from reality. Um, mm-hmm. I think it localizes it really nicely. I love the opening. Cause it starts with like a, this like spoken word story that Nicole is telling the audience um, over the credits, which PS. So the Weinstein's produced this and I realized it's, you know, 
post-Weinstein scandal, but it is the, the sort of movie that, like, I think only the Weinsteins can touch. This, like, very quiet, very serious, but also very creepy, spooky sort of story. So um, it, it was just... I had forgotten actually that it's a Weinstein produced movie. So that was also very scary when it came up in yeah, the credits. Yeah, Weinstein and executive producer Tom Cruise. Yeah. Uh, so double, double creepy. But then uh, what I really love too in this is the score sort of gets you right from the start that it, there's this like weird, like fairy tale, um, this really creepy, whimsical aspect to the score. And it starts right with the credits as Nicole is telling this fable, the story. Um, and then it cuts to the movie and it starts with Nicole literally screaming at the top of her lungs, which I think sets up the rest of the movie really well in the sense that like, you'll go from these really quiet moments to these really distressing, scary, very loud moments sometimes, like as much as Nicole has these really, really subtle, um, changes in her faces, like she does in birth and, you know, many of her other performances, um, that there is also the, the non-subtle parts are also just as strong as the ones that you that are sort of taken for granted because they are so quiet. Um, and the screaming is great. She could, she is a scream queen. That's we don't talk enough about Nicole Kidman, comma scream queen. She's definitely a scream queen. What's crazy about that scene too is not only are we just getting this extended visceral scream, but we also get this rotation of the camera. Mm-hmm. I think we see her originally. I don't know if it starts upside down, but it rotates such that we get her kind of parallel to the bed and then we get her into like a standard upright position. But yeah, from from the moment that it starts, you know, we are being shown something specifically through the director's vision Mm -hmm. and you're just like acutely aware that you're, you're observing, you're listening to this story um, because we're being physically manipulated through the scene. And I think that's a really nice way to start. Yeah, and she's lying down and then slowly gets up as she's screaming and you're like, okay, this is like, this is a woman waking up from like a legit nightmare. Of course, we don't know what this nightmare is. We don't know what just happened. Uh, And that'll unravel as the movie um, goes on. But it it really, like, it really just gets you right from the start. Um, And more than that, actually, the movie's only about 100 minutes, I think, or 105 minutes. And um, by the 15 or 20 minute mark, you sort of get the idea of, you know, what the hell is going on here. Um, and I really like that it really doesn't waste any time because um, I think a lot of the look of it and definitely the people involved, you would think like, okay, they're really going to tease this out. This is going to be a slow burn, but they really don't. Like it really is astounding how quickly everything happens. Yeah. I think if you don't know that this is going to be a, a movie with kind of a mystery or a, mo- a movie with a twist in it, I think like from the jump, one of the first things that happens is the the servants show up, I mean, five minutes in and you can already tell from the way that they're talking um, or in the younger girl's case, not talking that there's something kind of wild going on. Yeah. It's really creepy. And then even in the following scene uh, where Nicole's character um, confronts the servant as the, and, you know, and, and asks her how she knew that she needed help. Cause this newspaper ad that she was going to get printed actually hadn't even gone out yet. So there's already that, sort of unease and again this all happens like before the 10 minute mark it's really i was just really impressed at how quickly things happen i think i had forgotten how quickly everything sort of started to get going but i really admire that about it yeah there's um there's a gorgeous shot actually exactly where you just mentioned um where so the servants show up and we've got Fanula flanagan as kind of like a maid and we've got a young 
woman with her that's we learn is a mute um who is just kind of like a housemaid and then we have a groundskeeper um and they show up and they've they've mentioned to nicole that they have um heard that she's in need of help uh and the moment you mentioned nicole says uh that the postman never picked up the advertisement and there's this gorgeous um we've we see the shot uh, mostly uh, focused on fanula and the camera kind of dips and swings to nicole and again it's a very humanistic like accusatory kind of head tilt to nicole and it just reminds us that we're supposed to be right there um but we don't really see it for the rest of the movie and it always sticks out for me uh mainly just because i love that first note that that something might not be completely right totally and i think also the that paired with just seeing nicole as this very stern very proper uh mother of two who has like rules about everything um, and is obviously prepared for literally every scenario and is obsessed with, you know, making sure that the curtains are drawn and protecting her kids and all that, that these people are sort of coming into her house and disrupting that, the routine that she has and the very sort of strict um, rules that she has about her household. And yeah, these people are coming in and like literally fucking shit up. Like it's, it's yeah. crazy to sort of <laughs> see that and it happens so quickly. It's just, it's, I, I just think the movie is set up really, really well. And it happens again within 10 minutes, you know, everything that's going on. Uh, and it's, I, I just, I don't think it, I don't think there are enough movies that start like this quickly and still leave a lot of mystery and creepiness, you know, like there's not really that much that's given away. It's just a lot of mood setting and it does it really well. And I don't know if maybe because this is like maybe the, 10th time I've seen it that I am a bit more patient or more like aware of what they're presenting or like what's being uh, handed to us uh, as the audience but I I, again I'm just really really impressed at how quickly things get going yeah I, I mean I think we're probably a little biased having seen it so many times but I was really trying to make note of the dialogue and and kind of find places where I think doubling is happening where if you are aware that there's going to be a twist that you can hear it and it and it's from the jump and and it's not so overt that it it's distracting if you haven't seen it but I think like from the get-go Fanula Flanagan's character is actively trying to get Nicole to remember and she's kind of pushing her in a direction and I don't think we notice it early on because Nicole is our lens to the movie and she is so very defensive and she's so very particular and I think that plays to the dynamic really well. Yeah. But I really do think, I mean, I guess I just think this is a great movie. <laughs> I just love watching it. I it Really, though, it is, like, again, one of those things that I'm like, I could rewatch this, and I could get, like, more out of it the more I watch it. It's just really one of those things that you just discover um, little nuggets that they, that they give you uh, the more you watch it. Like, there was still today when I rewatched it today, a lot of things that I was noticing for the first time, it was really just a lot of fun to, to rewatch. This is um, going to be my first tangent, but did you, did you ever watch Lost? I watched some of it, but I'm not very familiar with it. That's fine. Did you get to the point where Fanula Flanagan was a character on the show? No, I feel like I know that she was, but I don't, I don't <laughs> watch, I haven't seen any of her episodes. 
I won't I won't get too into the weeds, but her character exists. Listen, the show's like 15 years old. If you want to spoil it for me, that's fine. It's my fault for not watching. <laughs> the statute of limitations on spoiling the show is over. Yeah, it really is. Her character serves a very similar narrative purpose, which is trying to get another character to kind of like come to terms with their destiny. And I'm just mm-hmm. like very, very interested in, in the parallels between these two things. Um, it's going to be the first of several pieces of pop culture that I relate this movie to, but the first one is going to be Lost. I love that. I feel, I mean, I'm okay. I'm going to be honest. I'm probably never going to watch Lost in its entirety at this point, but it, that that is basically the purpose of the character. Um, and you don't really realize it until the end, right? Like if you're watching for the first time as the audience, but like as you're going through it, there is just something like really creepy about these three servants who show up and all the things that sort of start happening or that the Nicole character starts noticing happening after they come. So there is still a lot of like confusion. And again, I think that's a great strength of this movie of like introducing these things, these characters disrupting this woman's life and then still not really knowing what's going on. Yeah. I, I just think it takes a lot of depth and, and uh, ability to sort of keep that mystery going, even though you have a, all of this disruption and it could be really easy to just make it a, like a straight up ghost story and make it super creepy and have jump scares and all that, but they don't do that. It's still like a story that sort of unravels as you go. And again, like it's a hundred minutes. It's really, can we just get a little bit of praise for runtime? Because I, there's no reason any movie needs to be over two hours if you're doing something really, really well like this. Um, and at a hundred minutes, I was entertained. I had the best time rewatching it. I was creeped out. I was spooked. Everything. It's great. It, it's truly perfect, and I've watched a lot of movies for this podcast, and um, most I have to take breaks through, and this was one where I was like, nope, we're going to get in, we're going to get out. Yeah. It was a cool 100. What did you take breaks during? Oh, um, so I had to take a break during, let's see, I, t- I fell asleep during Dead Calm. Um, I just watched it recently because I was watching her movies in order. Uh, I had to, well, I basically passed out during Moulin Rouge because I was very drunk when I watched it. Um, I feel like that Moulin Rouge is so loud. It, it would, was it was truly like, the rattle worst. Me and I tried to watch it the next day um, while I was very hungover in the bathtub. And it was just like radiating through my echoey bathroom. And then as it came out in the episode, Jorge basically just led the episode and, and talked to my corpse through it. <laughs> so <laughs> it was for the better. But this one I was... I was this and Paddington, I was just right there for. Oh, well, Paddington is such a blast. That's so cute. And I love Moulin Rouge, too. I think I, um, I mean, when you asked me to do this, I wanted to do Moulin Rouge, and then you said someone else took it, and I maybe threatened you physically, but you called my bluff, because obviously I could never hurt anybody. But um, I'm happy I did the others, because it's a lot of fun. And I think probably a movie that isn't taken as seriously, because it is, again, like a ghost story, and it's sort of very... Uh, basic in a lot of ways um but this it is like one of my favorites ever like you said earlier i agree i was your fanula leading you to your nicole others (laughs) (laughs) it was all purposeful you're the best host because who what host lets their guests be nicole in this in any scenario this is great i'm i'm very generous um uh i think at this point we are introduced and again We've talked about this already, but the we're introduced to Nicole's children, Nicholas and Anne, mm-hmm. um, and the way that we're introduced to them is by Nicole introducing them to the servants. 
Mm. Again, super uh, just engaging in a way that makes it natural. Um, we're not just presented with these characters. We get a formal introduction um, that makes sense within the context of the movie. Um, Anne sucks. Anne is an awful child. And I wrote that multiple times in here. And I also wrote that Nicole hates Anne. I think she, I think Nicole definitely hates Anne. I think, like, I don't know that Anne is aware that her mother is going through it. And she's just, like, very antagonizing in a lot of ways. Um, so I appreciate the sort of, like, drama that she stars. Like, she's a real shit disturber. Um, but Anne's... Yeah, Anne I mean, is a stunt queen. she is a stunt queen um and poor nicholas oh nicholas is really sweet and he too is just such a scaredy cat and Anne just again loves to mess with him not only is he a scaredy cat specifically he's a cowardly custard isn't that the thing that she says to him over and over again oh i don't even remember that is that what she calls him yeah she um i think it's the scene and i'm skipping around a little bit there's um where they're like sleeping in the bedroom and Nicholas thinks he's seeing the ghost and she keeps saying like, cowardly, cowardly custard, cowardly, cowardly custard. Oh my God. (laughs) Um, Okay. Well, speaking of that scene, this again is just uh, um, another, another instance in the movie where um, the audience is sort of being told what to see and everything. But when Anne is talking to this Victor character, this like, person that they think is a ghost um whenever her head turns to speak to him the camera actually pans back to nicholas who's in the other bed so even at that point you hear another voice in the room but you never actually the camera never actually lets you see whether victor is like a real person or if Anne is just messing with her brother again oh that's interesting it's fascinating um which is and that was sort of the discovery that i made with this with this viewing of the others that i had never uh, noticed before that every time victor or whoever was doing the voice of victor whether it was uh, Anne or victor himself you'd actually be looking at nicholas in his bed with like the sheets over his head so again the sense of mystery even though i know this is a ghost story and i know how it ends it is throughout the movie Anytime I saw Nicholas for an extended period of time, so, like, during these scenes, I kept thinking that he looks like the boy from that horror movie, The Boy, that came out, where it was, like, a doll. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. He's very (laughs) pale, very frail, like, scared. I just could only think about that, and so I mostly just probably couldn't pick up on that very subtle notion that you had, because I was just so distracted by his visage. By the boy, as the boy boy. in the other (laughs) <laughs> you know, they probably exist in the same cinematic universe, so maybe. I would believe it. Um, do, you, so. do you know this movie is, like, the highest grossing, like, movie to ever come out of Spain? That's honestly kind of incredible, but at this point, like, believable, because I, I I love it. Um, the Spanish have great taste. Good for them. <laughs> I don't know why that was really, it was just, I think about that all the time, because it's just, it, there's nothing, like, quintessentially spanish about this movie other than like i guess maybe the like gothic sensibility i think it was shot in spain though i think the castle which we can talk about the castle i can talk about the castle for like three hours because i'm obsessed with it is in spain and it's sort of made to look like i don't know upstate new york or i don't know where at, at, at that time but it is a great it's a great house great piece of real estate uh, amazing rooms obviously lets in a lot of light if Nicole would just not be obsessed with drawing the curtains all the time you really would get a sense of the room and 
what an incredible space it is. Um, but I love the castle. I actually love a lot of anything set in castles, like Beauty and the Beast, like fave, love. Um, <laughs> Celine Dion's video for It's All Coming Back to Me and I was also set in Castle. Where her <laughs> you knew it was coming. So I uh, just obsessed. Just like anything in a castle where like a woman is running around trying to figure out her life or trying to escape or waiting for her lover to come back um like like in the others or like celine and her it's all coming back to me now video um it's it's i i just think the setting is really um a good breeding ground for like mystery and creepiness i don't know if it's the space uh or the vastness of it or just the fact that it's secluded or that for some reason it's like always raining near castles who knows i'm just gonna let you run with this i love it um, I'm trying to think about my favorite thing with a castle in it, and I feel like it's, I don't know, it's either, like, it's something boring, it's either, like, Downton Abbey or, like, Mario 64. <laughs> oh, Mario 64 is a good one. That castle was great, it had, like, paintings. Here's a, here's a comprehension question, because mm-hmm. it's been a while since I watched this and took notes. Um, I just wrote, when Nicole was explaining purgatory, it was meant to sound bad, but I just kept thinking, yeah, I would do that. Was she just saying, like, it was quiet and, like, weird? because i remember just having a thought that was like oh yeah i could do purgatory like these kids are terrified but like no i'm into that i think you're right i think it was basically like yeah you don't it's um they're like the the way that she makes them explain it back to her was like there are four levels for like children's purgatory so if you're bad you're like basically just waiting and it's like a vastness of nothing that's literally all i want at this point Let's start. Do you want to unpack that? Do you want to um, just skip I'm just, right over you, it? I just, listen, <laughs> I don't know when this is going to air, but it's probably going to be in 2018, so that won't be a timely reference, but I'm just very tired, and I could just use a little nothingness for a couple of days. I feel like we're all still going to be tired in 2018, so I feel like it's always going to be very on brand. You're right. You're right. We haven't talked about Lydia very much. Lydia is like the mute and... I think next up we get the scene uh, where we've kind of glossed over this too. So Nicole's children have this illness where um, they can't be exposed to light. So Nicole gives a speech about keeping all the doors locked and the windows drawn. And I think we get the first instance where the windows, the curtains have been opened and Mm -hmm. uh, Nicole immediately thinks it's Lydia because Lydia is the only one with the keys that's in the house currently. Um, And she accuses her and she kind of just, stands there. I think this is actually where we find out. I think Vanilla Flanagan shows up and explicitly tells us she's mute. Um, I definitely had a note where I wanted to talk about other mutes in movies, but I honestly can't think of any right now except for The Hunger Games, so maybe I'll just gloss right over that. I can't think of any either, but I find it fascinating um, that the character, that Lydia's character actually has like a lot of um, power over like the narrative of the story so like of course the curtain thing because she can't defend herself uh that nicole i think also is looking for like a very easy scapegoat of like oh of course it's her she has the key she's not going to talk back whatever um and then in a later scene um nicole asks uh Fnula to tell lydia to stop running around upstairs that she doesn't need to be running around she's just cleaning uh and it sounds like it's three people and all that and then uh, this again is like a, a great strength of Nicole's. Uh, Nicole 
looks outside and sees that Lydia is actually outside so that it, it can't possibly be her running upstairs making that ruckus. Um, but again, I think it's very interesting that this mute character is um, like accused of making this noise that it's like, well, you don't think that like the character really has any sort of power over the sounds that Nicole is hearing. And of course she doesn't in this case, but like, it, it, like the fact that she's accused of being disruptive um, with something like making too much sound, I thought was really interesting. It is interesting. Um, I think we get a lot of, I think like the obvious thing to do in a ghost story, especially in a situation like this is to play with um, sights, you know, to play with seeing, you know, specters and, and the curtains being drawn. And, and I yeah. think you're right. What we actually get is a lot more play with sound. So we get the footsteps, we get voices, um, we get that scene with the piano. So the piano is kind of playing itself and it also kind yeah. of like matches up with the score. I think, I think it's a really nice conscious choice to um, choose like which of our senses are being assaulted uh, yeah. and kind of confused. <laughs> it is very creepy. And again, it is like, you're supposed to be Nicole Kidman in this really creepy castle. So how do you reconcile all of these things that are happening. Um, and it is very much an assault on the senses. So whether it's this very dark castle that suddenly is illuminated because someone drew the curtains, um, or whether it's the creepy piano playing, or whether it's the score itself, which really is creepy. The score is creepy as hell. Um, and But it's also very, like, cartoonish. So there is, like, a playfulness to it that I think, like, is sort of like a wink on the, on the composer and director's... Um, effort to to sort of tell the audience like we're with you we're like messing with you too which i also i kind of like that interaction um between us and the and the filmmakers but it 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 is creepy um and it is very interesting to see again this that they have this mute character um and the score is again very subtle when anything is sort of happening around her um it's very strange i actually didn't really pick pick up on that until the last time i watched it this morning so was very uh it's just creepy i feel like i keep repeating creepy but it's that's maybe the most <laughs> apt word for this because there's so much going on that like how, again how do you reconcile all of these things happening and like if you're a mother of two and waiting for your husband to come back from war and um there are these people in your house and there's these noises and sounds and all of these stimuli that are happening that you can't control it is like very unnerving. It is like claustrophobic in a certain way too. Yeah, this movie is ooky spooky. Um, yeah. It's effective. All right, I have two questions for you to figure out um, which cinematic universe this movie exists in. Uh, <laughs> question number one: There is Nicole mentions that they are kind of like, in a sense, trapped in the house because there is like an occupation happening. Uh, so is this movie in the beguiled cinematic universe because they experienced something similar? That is great. Cause I actually, I was thinking that when I was watching it of like, how would Nicole's character in the beguiled react to this? I feel like she would be a lot more like assertive. Yes. Um, but I think, yeah, I think it probably is in the same cinematic universe as the beguiled. And now I want to see that crossover. Um, it also has the, as I've mentioned before on my Twitter, uh, it has a long shot of Nicole, like, longingly being at, at a gate. Yes. Um, so I think 
great. I think that's the right answer. And then also, is this movie in the Beetlejuice cinematic universe? Because it involves ghosts trying to scare people out of their home. Whoa. It's basically Beetlejuice. Did I it's blow your mind? It's basically Beetlejuice. <laughs> yeah, this movie's Beetlejuice, and I've been sitting on that for a little while. Okay, I've never thought of that. I'm going to need, like, three hours to digest that right now. Good. This is a six-hour podcast, so you have time. <laughs> um, no, I. that's great. It is very much like Beetlejuice. I. Wow. Yeah, no, I'm into it. I love that. It's Beetlejuice. It's truly, it's truly the same plot point, but it's just exercised in two very different ways. Yeah. Also, exercised as a ghost pun, maybe. Sam. Hi. <laughs> um, no, I love that. I love... It is Beetlejuice. That's great. Thank you. Wow. I've had some time to ruminate. Uh, so this this is this movie is a Venn diagram of several things, and um, I think it's right in the middle. I'm still on the Beetlejuice. That's fine. While you're dwelling on that, um, <laughs> I will I will recite to you my the most relatable line in this movie, which is I believe Nicholas says it, but he says, "Doves are anything but holy. They poo on our windows." <laughs> Nicholas gets it. Oh yeah, Anne, Nicholas gets it from the jump. Anne does not get it. Anne is a shit disturber. <laughs> yeah, Anne sucks. Uh, we, I think at this point, get our first... This is another thing that the movie handles really well, which is like showing us something almost until the point of some sort of revelation. We get this with the tombstones uh, a couple of times, but we get the first introduction to the Book of the Dead this time. Um, so... I think Nicole finds in the attic of her own home, It's it, she finds a lot of stuff she doesn't know is in her own house, um, but she sees, like, a photo book full of all these, like, Victorian-posed um, dead people, and she doesn't get all the way through the book, which we'll get through later, um, but she gets really scared, and she doesn't like it, and then she uh, gets sad, and she goes into the closet, and she's, like, holding... Charles, her husband's like clothes, and she's crying. And that is very relatable to me as someone who is currently sitting in a closet. Are you also and, crying and waiting for your husband? I mean, I, well, that's too <laughs> real. But <laughs> yes, <laughs> aren't we all just waiting for our husbands in some way or another? You know what? I'm not going to argue with that. So yeah, hell yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's very relatable. Another relatable thing is we get um, Fanula in her room with like a very elegant fishtail braid. Yes. And uh, I just really like that. I just think that that's very disarming because we see her um, really inventing, really inventing a hairstyle. Yes, it is a really elegant movie. I, like, I love the costuming, of course, and like obviously the castle setting. But the fact that all of these, this really creepy, uh, the fact that a lot of this creepy stuff is happening, um, and everyone is still really composed and polite, is astounding. It just, I feel like it just would not really, it's not like, maybe it's true to that era, but I don't think it's really true to life. I just think everyone sort of still keeps, still has all of their wits about them, even though this creepy shit is happening. And everyone is still very polite, even though they're, you know, they don't, they have no idea what's going on and whether they're the good, they're being chased or whether someone wants them out of the house or people are, you know, going to attack them or whatever. It's just, people are just very put together and Nicole uh, Nicole's hair is sort of like untouched. I don't know what yeah. she does to it, but again, incredible. Even though she's running around the house and sweating and creepy and, and creeped out and scared, uh, she still wears these really elaborate. Um, would you call them? A, would you call it a house coat or like a, a 
I don't know. It was just, it's, she looked great. Housecoat seems too dowdy for the level of elegance that Nicole has. Um, exactly. But, but it I, is will accept it. Elegant. I will accept it in lieu of another more fitting word. It's very elegant. Everyone is still very um, composed, even though this creepy stuff is happening around them. I, I just love that about it, that it's like they just keep going. Uh, yeah. Even though it is, and part of it is like, yeah, Fanula is 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 great in, in this, and she does, as you said, create this hairstyle, and it's like, okay, everyone is still um, getting dressed up and doing these really fancy hairstyles. The kids are still doing their homework. Like, you guys have no idea what's in your house. You're still doing homework and reading the Bible. Like, yeah, I think, and we'll also be introduced to some characters kind of in the last act that. Um are very differently dressed and don't speak with that same kind of arched high tone. And mm-hmm. I think it really serves the the narrative to kind of show the differences between those two. Yeah. Um, I think we get uh, what is actually my favorite line in the movie. So Nicole is like out in the woods. I don't, do you know why she, do you remember why she runs out of the house, why she's going through the woods before Charles shows up? Do you remember? Um, well, she's going because she thinks she can escape. Or look for help or something, right? That sounds right. Um, but she's in the woods and there's like the fog. And then out of the fog comes her husband, Charles, the soldier. And we get the best line. So they embrace, they talk, she can't believe it. And he like looks at her and then in dead seriousness just says, sometimes I bleed. <laughs> and I think about that all the time. <laughs> That is that's a pretty good one, actually. Um, but it's just going back just a few seconds before that, uh, when Nicole is running into the fog and Fanula and the groundskeeper are sort of like, oh, should should we tell her? Uh, you know, obviously she can't escape. Um, yeah. there's, there's only so far she can go. And you sort of see it with the kids later when they try to escape. And it's like, there's only so far they can go because they're trapped in this. It's Beetlejuice, literally. They can't leave the house. Yeah. Or the, the grounds of the house, the whatever acreage they have, which is very impressive. Again, uh, not to dwell on the castle setting, but it is very impressive. It's it's just fascinating that she, she not that she doesn't figure it out on her own, because it is sort of this crazy thing to have to guess that you're actually dead the whole time. But it is, again, this little nugget that they feed us with Fanula and the, and the gardener saying... Uh, you know, she has to figure it out on her own. And then sort of at that point, I think when, with Charles coming back from the war, sort of just like walking home from the war, you know, like again, this is the sort of thing that's like, okay, well, maybe Nicole should have figured it out. There are, um, there are two things about that introduction of Charles by Nicole to the, the family that I think are really, really interesting. Charles, um, who, by the way, is Christopher Eccleston, who is amazing on The Leftovers. Yes, first Leftovers reference of the podcast, yeah. shockingly. The the way the look on Vanilla Flanagan's face when Charles arrives because she clearly knows what has happened, mm-hmm. I think is fascinating and it's not explicitly called out in the movie. Uh, and then just the way that Nicole, because at this point Nicole is like very pretty certain that there are ghosts in the house. Yeah. Um. It, it, the instant Charles shows up, she has completely forgotten about that. Um. She is like so willing to put that out of her mind because, uh. She's just so excited about the return of her husband. And yeah. I think we visually see it in the way that she moves around the scene. Um, it's just really interesting. There's a lot of really great face work on everyone's behalf on, in the movie. And I think Fanula obviously is a pro and Nicole. Um, 
but the kids and the and the Lydia character also do a lot of uh, really great face work uh, when they're scared and the sort of um, uh, obviously when they're scared, but also when they're learning things themselves. Um, with just like I don't know, there's just something in their eyes, and like we know, I know you said Anne sucks, but like the actress has these like incredible blue eyes that like when she got scared or when she's like figuring things out you're i don't i just think it really adds to the mood the like creepiness she has these like really sharp cat eyes that are like super bright and like juxtaposed with the darkness of the house i think was like a really um striking um difference for me it's just really really creepy i think her eyes also play really well to the scene that comes next which is probably the most iconic scene from the movie it's definitely like the the big point of the trailer, uh, which is... I was going to say, this was in the marketing forever, and it was, forever. like, it was spoofed in Scary Movie 2, I think? Yeah. So, like, um, you know when you made it to Scary Movie 2 that you're, like, legit. Yeah, recently I just watched Signs. This is a tangent. I rewatched Signs, <laughs> and then we rewatched Scary Movie 3 right after as a cinema. Yeah. And, I mean, I still think parts of those movies are funny. I won't lie, but the part I, that I, I think thought so was too. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna pretend I'm above scary movie one, two, and three. The funniest part for me is like the Cameron Mannheim like cop sheriff character. How her hat right. just progressively gets bigger and bigger, like the brim, gets <laughs> right. bigger, which is just just stupid bit. Yeah. Anyway. Oh god. Uh, so, so we get this. We get this moment where Anne is like playing with like a. It's like a puppet or like a marionette or something. Yeah. And she's wearing she's wearing her confirmation gown and veil, which like um, Nicole, whose character's name is Grace. We haven't talked about that, but it's at least the second time she's played someone named Grace that I can think of. Uh, well, what's the first? What was the other? The titular Grace of Monaco. Oh, okay. You know what? I feel like she wants to forget about that. So let's do her a favor. I mean, she can't because I'm about to talk about that on an upcoming episode. <laughs> not forget. Um. So she's like playing with like a. a puppet and then um and nicole like tells her she can wear the dress and so she does and nicole like comes up on her and uh what's what is there's like dialogue before the like iconic line but um nicole starts to realize because she sees the hand holding the puppet and it's like an old mm-hmm. lady hand and yeah. then we get this like pan around and instead of seeing Anne's lovely blue eyes we see kind of like milky like gray eyes mm-hmm. and um Nicole says, but like, the same oh, voice. Anne's oh, voice same. is the same, which is so creepy. Yeah, and Nicole says, "Like, um, you're not what my, have you daughter. Done to my daughter." Oh, what have you done to my daughter? Yeah, and then do you want to deliver the next line? Uh, well, listen, I feel like I'm not going to do it justice because everyone knows this line; it's very famous. But she, it, 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 again, in Anne's like very girlish voice. Um, but you know, the thing that we see is this really creepy old old lady. Um, playing with the marionette that Anne was playing with. So the setting is very good. And then she, uh, Anne, obviously visibly very confused, but as this old lady just says, are you mad? I am your daughter. And then she is rushed out of the room by Fanula, who is obviously now aware of what's happening. And um, it sort of has taken it upon herself to make sure that this kid is okay. And as the kid is leaving, she, I mean, cinematically, she turns back into Anne like the child. Um, and she... Uh, is escorted out of the room and she just screams at Grace that she's wicked and she just keeps doing it over and over and she does she just says you're wicked you're wicked um and then in the following scene she tells her brother that like oh it's happening again um 
which is a thing that we haven't touched on, but there's this story that we haven't been privy to, but something happened with Grace and her kids that obviously only the kids know uh, of like some event that obviously altered their lives. And it did. Um, yeah. Let's just, let's just get into it. Fuck it. Go for it. All right. Well, we, so we find out that uh, obviously Grace and the two kids are, uh, have been dead. And what we, realize is that grace actually suffocated her two kids with a pillow um and then shot herself so this whole movie i mean i say this whole movie but like at this point it's probably at like the one hour and ten minute mark so you're uh, right into the third act and you things finally start to unravel and you start to figure it out um and grace and Anne and nicholas um are part of the story um, and I guess it is linked to that op- to the opening credits sequence um, that you don't really realize is the story that you're about to be um, fed through these little nuggets that they keep throwing at us. And it's, again, just really, really well done. And I think still very creepy and uh, still a bit of a surprise, even though I knew what was, was happening. It's, um, yeah, it's very creepy. We also get it kind of in two parts. There's this... Um... There's this portion where there's kind of the first part, which is the servants are outside and they're at the tombstones and and Nicholas and Anne are outside and they're, they see them and they're convinced that the servants are ghosts, um, which is not incorrect, um, but they're convinced that the servants are ghosts and they're alive and they're kind of ominously approaching the children as Nicole gets to the end of the Book of the Dead in the home and kind of sees them meaning Nicole and, and her children kind of... No, she sees the servants. She sees a servant. She sees the servants, the photograph of the servants, and then we get this second part, which is a little bit more expository, but um, I love, which is Nicole has locked up the home and the servants are just very calmly on the outside of the door and, and yeah. Vanilla Flanagan primarily is just explaining to her what's happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and I... I just really, I just really like that scene. I think it's really funny that that this whole movie has been building to this moment, and instead of this like big reveal, we get like a very calm, um, like matter of fact again. Because Nicole is us, we have to be kind of handheld through explaining the whole process because we've just spent an hour with these people. Um, yeah. I think it's really funny. I think it's great, and that scene with the three of them at the window, like you said, it is this really calm reveal. Uh, and everyone again still keeps their composure, even though <laughs> the reveal is that you, you murdered your kids and killed yourself, and now you're dead in this house. And there are human people yeah. who want to buy it. Um, can we talk about the seance, which is the most like well shot scene in the movie, perhaps? Hell yes. So, um, shit really starts to pop off here, and um, we start to kind of explicitly see some of these ghosts that we've only heard about so we see um the old woman we see victor uh we see kind of all the rest of the characters that i think either Anne or nicholas has like drawn in a picture yeah at some point um and we get this kind of flip the script moment where we realize that this is in fact a seance for grace and her family and that there's actually in a more present timeline a family trying to kind of cleanse their home that they've purchased of Nicole and her family and the servants. So in fact, mm-hmm. we get a practical example of them being the ghosts 
And most important part of this is that the mother is Catelyn Stark. Yes. Yeah, Michelle Fairley, who only gets like four lines in this movie, but they're all very stern because she just wants to get the fuck out if they can't get those ghosts out. Um, but she looks great. She looks great. It's true. No, I, that scene, I, again, had sort of forgotten. I knew it happened, but I had forgotten how effective it is because then you see Grace sort of walks into the room and at this point you sort of figure out that they're ghosts and you're like, okay, what is this interaction going to be? And Grace goes and sort of like bangs on the table um, and a lot of the dialogue that the that Grace and her get kids who are ghosts are saying is being repeated by one of the uh, one of the human people in the seance that like they're actually communicating with the dead. Um, it's very well done. Yes. It is really, really love... well done. And then she's, so she's banging on the table and they're... <clears throat> She's banging on the table and there are a bunch of sheets sort of flying around the room because Nicole, ghost Nicole, is ripping them up and throwing them around. And But the scene that we see is just these papers flying everywhere. It's gorgeous. And I think that they really save, like, the kind of traditional ghost story scares for this scene. Yeah. And they keep it very restrained until the... Um, I love that the old woman... Um, who has like the closest connection with Anne is just like scribbling circles. And then there's a man next to her. That's like to interpret the circles as like words. Yeah. I love that. I think that's a really fun, <laughs> like conceit. Um, and, and then, and the, okay. So, and the other thing too, that I think the movie does really well. So at this point we know what's going on and the reveal is done and the resolution, they're probably only like five or eight more minutes of the movie left after that. It's very well done. There's no dwelling. There's no fake ending. There's no like whatever. Everyone just has figured it out. Nicole is coming to terms with it. She's holding her kids and they're going to get through it together as a family. You know what I mean? But it is very Beetlejuice in the sense that like they've succeeded at chasing the some of the humans out but they're ready like they're going to be new ones coming and so they're all just like well this is a thing that we do now we're ghosts and so i feel like the sequel would have been a comedy and would have been very beetlejuice-ish they have a unified purpose um and then we get that great shot of michelle fairley and her family leaving the home Um, and then we kind of, it pans back up to, to Nicole and her children in the window, kind of just eternally there. Um, one question I have for you is is in regards to Charles. So, I mean, I think we're supposed to understand that, that Charles has died in the war, uh, obviously, and that's why he is present and Nicole is able to see him. Um, but how come he doesn't stay around? I had that same question watching it now, and I feel like the house maybe is more for Grace who sort of hasn't accepted that she's died or doesn't believe that she's died. Um, Whereas Charles went to war and sort of like the obviously gruesomeness and brutality of war is so obvious that like you go to war, you know, you're not coming back. So when he does come back to him, it's very clear that he's a ghost and he has no interest in like haunting people for the rest of his life. But I don't know where he would go. But I, I had the same question when I was watching it again today. And I, I that's sort of like the idea that I get of like what the house is supposed to represent of like this denial of death. Uh, even though very creepily, it, death was like a really uh, popular subject at, at, around the dinner table for Grace and her kids. They still yeah. have this denial that not only that it happened to them, but that they are in fact dead uh, and there's no reversing it. 
That's good. No, I buy that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like Charles is just like, well, I went to war. Of course I'm dead. There is that, like, very... I, I hesitate to call it relatable, but there is definitely that scene where Nicole is convinced... Or she realizes that Charles is going to leave, and she just, like, has sex with him in the hopes that he'll stay. Right. And I just was shaking my head. Just too real. Wow. You know what? I feel I like this podcast should be six hours. There's a lot you need to unpack, Sam. I know. We can talk offline about a lot of this <laughs> when we're done. Um, do, do, you, uh, do you feel ready to uh, rate this movie and, and try for your hands at winning the prestigious Golden Compass Award? Yes. Okay. Um, all right. I'm going to ask you some questions. One through five. Yeah. Five being uh, the highest... Um, First and foremost, how do you feel about the wigs in this movie? Uh, so honestly, it's a four for me, only because Nicole's are great, but everyone else's are just okay. I agree. Um, I think Nicole's wig is very, very good, yeah. and I think that the, I think that would be a three ordinarily, but I'm I would say a four because of as I mentioned the Fenella Flanagan fishtail. True. How do you feel about the accents in this movie? I actually really love them. And you mentioned earlier um, that the the difference of like the people in the seance, how they speak and how the characters in the rest of the movie speak and that difference and how important it is to sort of like um, figuring out who's who and where they come from and all that. Um, so I'm a fan. So I'm going to say again, a, a four. Um, and I, I know we're not supposed to pick on the kids, but some of the accent work on Anne was not great. Yes, agree. So I'm going to say <laughs> four again because Nicole is perfect. Nicole carries this movie, and she is she is definitely um, improving everyone's scores. That includes Anne, who is a bit of a slacker. Yeah, I can imagine this movie in in sort of less capable hands being um, almost like B horror, mm. and instead, I mean, unfortunately, it didn't like take off. Although it did make a bunch of money, um, I don't just don't think a lot of people remember it. Uh, it kind of occupies this separate space where it is perhaps a very good movie that is just not well remembered as opposed to being a less good movie mm-hmm. i don't know That's what fair. i'm saying anyway moving on um this is the naomi watts scale meaning uh how familiar is naomi watts with this movie um in relationship to her friendship with nicole kidman well i think this five. is a five because naomi watts watches very closely any setting where nicole's children need caretaking so oh. I, I think a, I think a five for sure. Okay, wow. Yeah. Um, I think that might be the first five on the Naomi scale. Thank <laughs> yeah. you so much. Uh, approachability. How how likely are you to strike up a conversation with Nicole's character in this movie, one through five? Oh my god, probably a one. This is one that I actually love to watch, but I'm very glad I don't know in real life. How? Okay, um... One through five, how suppressive do you think the Church of Scientology thinks this movie is? <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> I, I think I think they're probably into the supernatural elements about it. And Tom Cruise produced, right? Correct. So I think maybe it has their seal of approval in a lot of ways. Can I say a four to be safe? But I, I probably would be inclined to say five. I mean, go with your heart. Do you? I say to. five. They, I think they love this one. At the very least, they're contractually obligated to love yes. it because it has Tom's name on it. <laughs> exactly. Okay, great. Uh, and then finally, overall level of iconicness as it pertains to Nicole's career. 
Um, I think it's, again, a, a movie that's a little bit dismissed or like not regarded as highly as I regard it. So I think probably at this point only a three. But I think with time, it'll it'll get like more popular. Good. Yeah. Um, okay. That gives you a pretty significant 22 out of 30. Yes. Um, we'll see how you... Uh... We'll see how you hold up in the, in the long run. I'm very excited because she has a lot of like Scientology unfriendly movies. So I think I have them beat on that one. Yes, there are definitely um, several movies where uh, like prescriptions are plot points. Like the hours didn't feel very... Actually, the hours <laughs> did pretty well because... <laughs> um, oh, one thing we didn't talk about in the movie. There's this beautiful um, recurring theme where Nicole has these like migraine pills. Right. And they're referenced they're referenced a couple of times by her and by the servants. Um, and she keeps talking about how she needs them and then never really takes them. And again, it's like because she did. And uh I think that that's um just a really nice clue that's floating around there. It also reminded me of Mother, which I love to talk about on this podcast, and the like weird like concoction that she has to drink. Which they never talk about either. Isn't that strange? Yeah, and we can get into that again offline, yeah. but, but I do love to talk about it. Um, all right, Christiana, do you feel ready for one last game? I'm ready. I love games. Okay, um, we'll see how fun you actually think this game is. But what I've been having everyone do, because I don't want to talk about it on the podcast, is just explain the plot of the entire first season. And I say first season because we have a shooting schedule for season two of Big Little Lies. Um, so without really any sort of direction, um, whenever you're ready, I will just ask you to do that in 60 seconds. Can I, can I spoil it? Like, I'm assuming everyone has seen it. Fuck it. Okay. Yes, And is this just pertaining to Nicole's character or like the whole thing? Uh, you get no direction, so please begin. Okay, I'm excited. I'm gonna, should I just go? Yeah, go for it. Okay. Uh, it's Big Little Lies. Um, this idyllic town, I guess, in California, amazing kitchens, um, a murder happens, and then we sort of go back to figure out not only who is the person who got murdered is, but who did the murdering. Um, and so, spoiler, it's Nicole's husband, Alexander Sarsgaard, who is a pig, um, and the person who killed him is uh, one of these women who are all sort of interconnected. Obviously, it's just by being women in, in uh, Monterey, I think is the name of the town, Um but also they are these really amazing feuds. Like the women are in competition with each other, but then they sort of come together at the end to realize that actually women aren't the enemy. Men are. Men are trash and garbage. Um, so sisterhood, amazing kitchens, murder, great wigs. Oh my God, there was a buzzer too and I beat it. There you go, I'm done. Yeah, I have one sound effect and it's that. So good job. <laughs> <laughs> Bless you and your Canadian sensibility for first saying California and then very cautiously saying Monterey. Was I right? I don't remember. Yeah, no, okay, you're good. right. Yeah. Chrisanna, please come to California and, and we can go on a lovely weekend trip to Monterey. I'm excited. Actually, if they're shooting in the spring, I might actually swing that because I would love to uh, bump into all of my Big Little Lies ladies. <laughs> um, do you have any do you have any closing thoughts on on the movie before we wrap this up? Um, I will say that this is the sort of role that Nicole doesn't do enough of, and I feel like with this like renaissance of her career, of her sort of taking the reins of um, the sort of roles that she wants to do, and definitely now as a producer, that I really would like her to do horror 
that I think a lot of leading ladies sort of, uh, I say leading ladies, like, I mean, like, Nicole and Reese Witherspoon, uh, and a lot of the people that gay Twitter worships uh, with great reason, uh, just don't do enough of. Like, I feel like Kate Blanchett sort of it, it really leans into that stuff because um, she's lovely and great and actually has like a great respect for the for sci-fi and things like that. But I would love Nicole, I would love to see Nicole do another thing like the others. And I don't know if she, maybe she can work with Del Toro Maybe she can work with um, Alejandro Aminabar again. Um, I just would really love to see her do something like this again because it's so different than anything she is used to doing. Um, and she's a great actress. She really can do anything. So I would like to see her do another horror movie like this. I mean, it's it's the same reason that I love her in Paddington, which is it's just something that she... I don't know. I think it's exactly what you said. A lot of actresses, you know, you get to a certain point and something like a children's movie or something like a horror movie um, kind of seems like beneath you in a way. And I think that she's really good at sifting through and finding the uh, the movies in those genres that maybe will transcend or that have something more to say. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like she has that power now too, point. right? Where like if no one is coming yeah. to her with these things that she could make it happen for herself. Yeah, I mean, she just did... Killing of a Sacred Deer, which, um, in my mind, is the year's best comedy, and uh, it's also like very outside of her norm, um, in a lot of ways. So I think she, uh, yeah, I think she truly has her fingers on the pulse, yeah. and at this point can command whatever she wants. And she should listen to this and <laughs> listen to our advice. Hell yeah, Chris. Um, where can people find you on the internet, uh, etc.? I'm online. I'm on Twitter. Uh, the handle is Chris underscore Hannah, and I'm the same handle on most social media, but Twitter is the one that I probably am the most active on. So start there, and that's it. You can actually find some pretty fire tweets from Chris about the others if you're interested. I do really enjoy the others, uh, and I have tweeted about it in the past. Um, it's mostly, I mean, I, I, I do it for fun. I get to be a little bit creative on Twitter, and I don't really get to do a lot of that in my in my real life. Um, I just like to uh, talk to people who like the same things that I do, and that involves Celine Dion and Nicole Kidman and the others, and um, R&B music from the 90s and really awful music videos. Um, that is sort of the things I like. Uh, yeah, I can confirm that because in order to pump me up for this episode, you sent me a Celine Dion vocal warm up, which I promptly did, and hopefully it shows. You know what? You your voice sounded really fresh and ready, and uh, I'm impressed. And Celine would be too. Um, she's definitely listening. All right, let's wrap this up. Uh, you can um, find this podcast on Twitter at the Kid Manifesto. It's usually just me tweeting memes or me posting photos of me inside this closet. Uh, you can follow me uh, at Mr. Sam Herbst. And if you want to talk to Chris about 90s hip hop or Celine Dion, you can also uh, email us at the Kid Manifesto at iCloud.com. Uh, Chris, Thank you for being here and talking to me about this, this ooky spooky movie. Sam, thank you so much for having me on. This was so fun. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm probably going to play the clip of, of Anne saying, don't be mad. I am your daughter Hello. here. So enjoy that as we uh, fade out. Bye, Chris. Bye.
no difference. Why can't you ever do as you're told? What have you done with my daughter? 